HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Hi, I'm Katie Mosman-Wadler, Executive Director of HRN. HRN is dedicated to amplifying small businesses that keep our communities vibrant. Today, I'm asking business owners to take part in our business membership drive by supporting HRN's mission with a $500 membership. HRN will shine a light on your work, and you'll help sustain our mission to expand the way eaters think about food. As a thank you for this tax-deductible donation, your business will receive on-air mentions, social media posts, listings on our website, and more. You'll also play an essential role in keeping nonprofit food radio on the air. Go to heritageradionetwork.org biz to become a business member today. That's heritageradionetwork.org B-I-Z. Thank you for your support. All right, so welcome to Raw Wine Spring 22. Uh, welcome to the Speaker's Corner. Um, today we'll be exploring the natural wines of Dalmatia. It's an historic wine region in the south of Croatia on the Adriatic Sea in Eastern Europe. Wine has been produced there for thousands of years and have some of the oldest continually cultivated vineyards. It is also one of the four main wine regions of Croatia. So our guest today to help me uh, guide you through all of this is Kresho Petrekovic, that's a mouthful, from Vinyas Mora and Marko Kovac from representing Babbage Winery. So we're going to explore the region by tasting and discussing these six wines. Um, so the best way to relate to everything is to taste the wines. All right, but before we get started, I think to set up a little context for everybody, um, I want each of you guys to take a few minutes to give us a little background on who you are, where you're at, what you're doing. So this way, going forward, everyone knows, you know, what's going on. So, Kresha, we'll start with you. Okay. Is that on? I think so. Yes. Uh, well, welcome, everybody. Uh, I think I know a bunch of people here. You'll hear me say the same thing <laughs> again, but uh, these are new wines uh, for us. Uh, for, for, for Vina Smora, the, the, actually the first vintage we released. Um, I've been, uh, you know, 
a lot of you know, but I've been working in New York for a long time selling wines and now import, importing wines as well with, uh, with ZRS wines. And uh, about six years ago, I made my first vintage in the, the north, of, in the continental part of Croatia with my dad. It's a small winery. And then in uh, 2020, I went away for the pandemic. And, uh, you know, I was just about when I was having my best part of my life and could relax for the first time in I don't know how long, I started a new winery, um, which was a uh, quite a uh, historic moment um, for our region. Our region is uh, one of the... In, in Primorstan uh, vineyards, we have a, I, I would call it, uh, you know, self-called Grand Cru area for Babbage grapes, uh, growing out of this incre incredibly uh, dense limestone rocks, um, very mountainous terroir almost. And I didn't want it to fail as a cooperative that was there for 40 years buying grapes for a lot of these small growers uh, was going out of business and they've called me to uh, help. And I, you know, I thought helping would be just making, you know, buying little bits. And then I realized that doesn't make any sense. You can make a little bit of wine and it's just more work for you at the end. You have to be able to, you know, have some sort of a mass to sell. And and uh, we realized that we have to almost save the region. And that was how the, this Vinas Mora was born. It was born of an idea to really save the terroir. And then the second was really how to make really great wine. Um, uh, so uh, Vinas Mora is... A bunch of guys that are not a bunch of ordinary guys. Tell me who you're exactly. Well, on. yeah, uh, it's uh, so Venus Mora is uh, is essentially uh, myself and Nico uh, and uh, another uh, partner who is managing uh, some of uh, some of the work for us. Uh, and Nico is also Marco's partner at Caracter Wine Fair. If you ever go to Central Europe to Vienna to those to the fair, they do a tremendous fair in in. Uh, and you know we have an we we had a very interesting uh, point. So when I started uh, Venus Mora, I said we're gonna partner and call our friends who are importers. You know, so we have I want to start selling tickets before the show. You know, so so everybody kind of like well, you know Nico really was interested and and Marco helped us tremendously and a few other people like invested a little bit of money. But really, there's only three partners in this winery. I'm the winemaker. Uh, uh, you know, I kind of like didn't plan this to, to happen to me because I was really trying to grow the other winery. But I realized uh, at the moment when we started to do this, I really have to uh, put uh, this uh, as a priority because it's, very, uh, it's a very unique project and I really wanted it to survive. And we ended up making some, you know, some really interesting wines, I think. Which we're going to taste. Yes. All right, Marco, just give us a little background on uh, what you're doing. Thank you, Sam. Uh, welcome. My, my name is Marco Kovac. I'm, I'm the founder of Caracter Wine Salon, which has now been going on for almost 10 years. We're based out of Austria, Vienna. There's a certain purpose to that because we focus almost exclusively on the wines of Central and Eastern Europe. And a lot of wineries which of which we have 120 this year on a show that will take place on the 19th of May, have actually grown with us. So we started the show um, 2011 and Ro was an inspiration. We wanted to do something regionally in Croatia. Eventually switched to Austria and Vienna is the biggest metropolis like near close to us and uh, a beautiful place with beautiful, beautiful flight connections so the whole world could come. And the first salon we had, had, I think, 10 or 20 producers out of Central and Eastern Europe. And now we're like six times that. So all of that, those people grew with us and we grew with them. They found importers all over the world, which um, actually helped to, um, well, bring back 
awareness of the fact that the region of Central Eastern Europe is actually a historic winemaking region, which people were not really, you know, aware of, especially focusing on France and Italy, but countries like Austria, Czech, Slovak, Hungary, Croatia, and Slovenia, just historic wine nations. Um, I also, what I do, I promote wines and sell wines in uh, Southeast Asia. And that's about it for the okay. moment, I think. And I'm actually here presenting Domain Bibish. This right, round. which we're going to talk a little yes. about. Um, I think what we should do is everyone's been poured two wines. Um, I think Marco, guide us through what's in front of us. Let's talk about um, the wine, the grape, a little about the winemaking, and then we'll all get a chance to throw it over our tongue. I think it's good to consider before that. I think it's good to consider a bit of like modern history on, okay. on Croatia, just to give a perspective. I on thought you would tasting. do that while we were drinking. We can. We so can. we can. So here, then help create a snapshot of Dalmatia for everyone. Talk about location, climate soils, and maybe start with a little history of the region. I think it's good to look back into the 19th century, like the mid-19th century, where basically you had phylloxera in France. Um, Croatia didn't have it until 50 years later on, um, which meant that basically Croatia was the winemaking, a grow, grape growing region for France. At that point, people were exporting wines from Dalmatia, the region that we will taste today, exporting the, uh, the wines and grapes to France and supplying the wines of France. Um, Croatia has, what is now Croatia, has a long history of wine growing, dating back before Christ, when you had uh, the Greeks making wine, and then you had um, the Romans making wine, and basically Croatian vineyards were supplying the Roman court. So that's the, that's the brief history, which, you know, again, people are not aware of, but Croatia is very much a um, the old wine growing world. Domain Bibic is actually located uh, together with Vinas More. Actually, the two wineries are very close, uh, like half an hour between apart from each other, and they're located in what is actually the heart of the wine growing region. What you have in uh, two glasses in front of you, um, on the on your left or the lighter color, you have a blend of five varietals. Two of which are international, that's Chardonnay and Pinot Gris. And then you have three local varieties, Marashtina, Poship, and Debit. And it's no chance that you have a blend. Following the Second World War, the industry decided that they were going to plant international crepes. Up until the 1920s, the 1930s, the region was all about local crepes, like Marashtina, like Poship, like Debit, which you will taste in a few iterations today. Following the Second World War, uh, and when the post-war industry became, you know, more cooperatives, they decided that it was better for the region to plant international varietals. So this wine kind of represents a, two connections in history, like more modern history where you have international varietals, but then also the origins of what are truly Croatian crepes. Um, the winery, Bibich Winery, decided to keep both. They, of course, focus now on the local crepes as something which is unique to the region. But they decided to keep uh, international varietals, which you also taste in the, in the reds. Uh, the right one that you have on your hands is uh, wine called Jutina, which is a kind of a slang in Croatian, means it means yellow. This is a 90 day skin contact and a um, vinification between stainless and then bits of oak. 
Again, skin contact and a long skin can contact like this of three months is something which is a very traditional winemaking process in, in Dalmatia, which you all maybe you best know of from the region of Friuli and produces like Brigitte or Radicon. But that's been the winemaking style of the whole, like the Adriatic, uh, Adriatic coast and Mediterranean in general, where basically people did not really spend or have money to spend on chemicals. They just said, well, we might as well extract whatever is there from the skins and the crepes and just protect the wines with that. That's your second wine in the glass. All right, so Cratio, the, the grapes are growing on what type of soils? Is it varied, region by region? Talk about the climate a little. Mm -hmm. You know, when you pick, I mean, because you're in a Mediterranean, you know, area, do you pick later, earlier? Uh, well, yeah, it's, it's, it's very, very different. So we have two, I mean, really, really different uh, wine regions here with, uh, with Bibic and, and, and uh, Vinas Mora. Uh, Vinas Mora uh, is a very coastal. It's, it's, uh, Vinas Mora means uh, wines from the sea in Croatia, which I really wanted to represent what we are surrounded with. Um, and it has a huge influence on the wines. Of, of course, you have the influence of the sea in, in Bibic, but Bibic is much more inland. Uh, they are uh, 300 meters above sea level. Uh, there is a lot more fertile soil here. There is uh, also uh, quite a bit cooler weather here. You, I was in... Uh, leaving the domain in uh, last uh, January and it was just absolutely like hailing and snowing and it was insane. And then we drew to Venus Mora and it was warm, you know? So uh, very, very different. Uh, this region was known for, uh, like I said, like producing like a lot of bulk wines in the, in the, in the old Yugoslavia. It had, a, it had a big tradition also with local varietals. Uh, some of the, the varietals grown there are very different. Uh, Plavina, Lassin, Debit, Maraština are, are four of them that are uh, growing. But uh, the focus mo mostly being on white varietals here. Debit, where Bibic is, is, is really the focus of all the, the, the domain in many different iterations, what you're actually tasting in this saccharine macerated wine. So uh, what we see around here, and it's uh, something that I always you know, beat uh, this topic, that we have tremendous... Uh, Density of the soil terroir here is is uh, is unique. We have uh, uh, this push of tectonic plates from 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 the Alps to Dinara Mountains, and then the Adriatic Sea pushing in with uh, and creating these extremely complex uh, soils. Uh, in my case, uh, this uh, basically you, uh, our terroir looks like a mountain of rocks with almost zero uh, organic matter. Uh, and the wines are absolutely extreme to that point that uh, we have UNESCO protected vineyards and uh, this is something that is very rare in any, any place. Um, uh, so uh, that's for Vinas Mora. Uh, obviously, we produce many different terroirs and this is the, the subject that I wanted to do. Uh, I wanted to produce single vineyard wines from these extreme locations. And Bibic has concept of uh, producing wines uh, uh, blends from also different locations, but in a, in a, in a more of a blending style and etc. That explains it, but but the soils at Bibich ah, the so, the, are the, they distinctly different? Yeah, yes, you, you uh, so, talk about a lot of stones. Yes, so exactly. No so the, the stone here you don't see it. As I said earlier, I don't know if I was clear. There is more, quite a bit more organic fertile soil. There's more. Uh, there's more red clay base. Uh, there is a lot more soil here. The vines here are trained. Uh, they're not bush vines for, for most case. Um, and uh, 
it is limestone, uh, but crushed limestones. So much more what you see around in uh, it's it's in general areas of the Mediterranean. Uh, still very poor soil. You have a natural lower yielding aspect in the in all of these wines. There's a it's also an ideal place to produce wines with uh, low intervention because there's a lot of wind. Uh, there is, uh, uh, as like I said, there's very little disease. The only problems we have for us is lack of water. You know, so we rely on the actual uh, snow coming from the Dinara Mountains, which are coming from this, which are almost separating the continental and the uh, and the uh, coastal Croatia. What, what kind of a, a snowfall we have during the year, and then those waters will soak the, uh, the underwater canals. So we have no rainfall, sometimes for eight months, which is absolutely extreme. So the, the vines are really relying for these underwater canals, and uh, they are uh, very much extracting the minerality, what's in the soil, etc., uh, which you definitely see in the wines. Um, at Bivich, there is a more generous rainfall. There is a little bit of a cooler climate. Uh, it's not as extreme. Um, and, and like I said, more organic matter, more red clay, and uh, smaller uh, limestone uh, uh, rock rocks. Yeah. And then you find in the coastal. All right, so let's, uh, let's taste through these wines. Um, we have at least four more wines to taste. So we can't stay static with our glasses half full. Um, quick question about these wines. The two wines, we're talking about six, seven different varietals. The two wines we're talking, yeah, five varietals in the first one. Um, so go over the varietals again. Marastina. Okay. Poship. P-O-S-I-B. Poship. And Debit on the whites on the local Croatian ones, and then you have Chardonnay and Pinot Gris on the internationals. Um, and then the second one will be 100% debit. Um, a wine which basically is a kind of a, you know, remnant of the old times. This is the wine that people produce for themselves for like daily consumption. Like if you go to Georgia, every, every house produces a wine just for themselves. <laughs> Very similar in Croatia. <laughs> People would actually produce this, this type of wine for themselves. They would never sell this, like in the ex-Yugoslavia, in the communist times, they would never sell this. This would be like a house wine. This is what you drank yourself. You didn't add any sulfur. You didn't add any chemicals. You wouldn't want to poison yourself. This is not what you sold. What you sold was an international varietal, which you sold to the cooperative. Uh, and that's how, you made, that's how you made a living. This was something which was drank on a daily basis for lunch or for dinner. And basically something you had in like the back of the cellar. So skin contact, again, something which um, is quite a, a, um, quite a historic vinification technique in, in that part of the world. Um, and I think in this case, it kind of shows, like beautifully shows the, the characteristics of the debit craving, to be honest. So yeah, just to mention, so debit is a uh, iteration of like a Bombino grape, something that's similar in that that world, uh, uh, if you if you want to just relate it to something, uh, Marastina is a iteration of Malvasia that is grown here. It's very small, thick-skinned grape with uh, lots of. It's almost like <laughs> I call it the Cabernet of the of the whites for us. It's it's really it gives you this wonderful aromatics that you will find in some uh, 
especially in, like in, in the wine I have, it really kind of like it's a key element in the wine for me um, uh, because of this Mediterranean aspect of the of the of the perfume that it produces, uh, this aromatics. Uh, so just to have a little and Porship, I don't even know. It's it's a strange strange grape with like <laughs> low growing season that the alcohol uh, producing and high aromatics as as well. Um, so I have a question. So you guys are considered newer age winemakers, but working in an old historic region, we've poured two wines already, and we're talking about five or seven varietals. Are you bringing back varietals that either were not planted or unpopular because you see the potential, you know, or it wasn't as commercial? There was there was a moment in the in the salon that we did character um, a few years back, and Kresho, Nico, and I we spoke, and um, five years back you wouldn't even you would find like two Croatian wineries at, at our event. Our event has kind of, kind of a strict criteria for um, for participation, and we said, well, we need to do something to uh, bring the whole country, you know, to its feet in terms of natural wines, because most wines produced were basically conventional. Um, high intervention wines, and we wanted to do something to um, actually encourage the whole, the whole, the whole country. There was a good deal of local grapes. Um, the whole trend of lo you know growing local grapes uh, back then, five ten years ago, but then none of it was made in like natural style. So basically, didn't know what the grape was because if you if you add yeast, if you add this, if you add that, it kind of masks the whole thing. So we went around in Croatia specifically. Uh, went around wineries, which we saw as, as great potential and said, well, why don't you try this? Why don't you try that? Why don't you try lower intervention? This was, yeah, like a half a decade back. Uh, and basically people understood that. And also looking at the salon that we do, also looking at raw, they saw that there was a whole industry behind this. and There was marketing and, and commercial potential. And today, growing local grapes is something that that's, that's, that's a given. Nobody grows Chardonnay or Cabernets anymore. Um, and people are replanting uh, with new varietals like the ones you have in front of you. So it's it's a kind of an ongoing work. Um, but there's a very kind of firm, Kresha, I would say, there's a very firm movement towards like replanting like local varietals, right? Uh, there, There is, but you know, like... The, this is a sh what's happening in Croatia. It's, it's just it's a shame. Like we have just a bunch of tourists coming there, drinking local wines uh, produced for 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 them during the you know <laughs> tourist season. So so I really I, I dread that because it's it's such a great place. We, like the wine potential is insane, and the Czechs and Slovaks have kicked our ass years ago. It's 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 so I was put in this situation. Where in, I said, in what way? Well, they in, have. In we, we were at a salon and uh, in. Uh, in Tabor, in, in Czech Republic, they have 140 growers from Czechoslovakia. You know, yeah. we have five or six that we can present to you know to 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 this market. So I truly helped from from finding people selling amazing wines, even from like the side of the road of bottles. I gave them a chance, pick them, make labels for them, and bring them here and show them to to people uh, that that accepted them. And uh, we now. Are growing a, a substantial business with with uh, with uh, promoting these wines and and giving these people a chance to go back to the land and you know not to go and, and go back to these villages and there they see the future where nearly we have especially in my region we went from 200 hectares of one of the most iconic terroirs 
to 20, you know? So uh, people are now looking at it like this guy just got here and all of a sudden like the wines are everywhere and you know, and they're thinking like, oh, maybe I'm gonna do it. And you know, and, and they're calling me and saying, oh, this guy is gonna compete with you. I, I open my doors for everybody. Right. I really want people to come in and like right. be my competition. And I want to force of these uh, wines around and I'm supporting it and importing it and uh, as well. And, uh, and, and, and um, I'm, I'm trying, really to do my best uh, with my wines as well. But is if, that is that happening? I mean, oh, definitely. as years go by? We have, we have, we now import, I don't know, five, six wineries. I make, I help make wines in, in, in two, three. I consult on other people. Right. We, we have wineries that make organic wines, but they don't know, they don't have a market of how to sell those, orga- you know, the organic uh, grapes and produce them in a way that be acceptable uh, as a natural wine. They don't, they, they, I tell them, well, listen, you're doing everything right. Just put 10 milligrams of sulfur instead of 100. You know, it will be the same thing. Uh, the, 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 the wine. Is that just because they don't know better? Because they have an analogist that yeah. told them so. They, oh, because, okay. because, you know, my wines, when Bad I take advice. them, when I add them to, when I go to a national board, they say to me, it's cloudy. Then, you know, I just go to the supermarket, buy a cheap wine and, and, and pass the test. So, you know, they're afraid. They don't know. We have, a, we have no export market. And we, we actually created an export market. You know, and in the time of like coronavirus, where everybody, where nobody came in the numbers like they used to in Croatia, it was a problem. And I told them for years, we have to be able to sell wines outside of this country. You cannot only have one one market, and you you, you can have a you can have an earthquake, you can have a or another virus or something. We will lose against everybody. You know, and, and making inexpensive supermarket wines from terroir like us, it's a shame. You cannot do that. You know, we have Chile, we have Argentine uh, producers selling wines for two, three euros at, at, at supermarkets. They will destroy uh, our, our, our business if, if we don't change and produce only really high quality wines, at least from the terroirs that are unique. You know, there's, so there's an incredible, it's, there's an incredible thing if you drive down coastal Croatia, if you just get a car and you drive down the coast is... You pass this road, which is like the main road. It's not a highway. It's like a fast road, which goes just just by the sea, by the ocean. And you have people by the road selling wine in like plastic containers of like a <laughs> liter of five liters. That doesn't happen anywhere in the world. I've traveled like almost all wine growing regions. It doesn't happen like ever. And this is what we wanted to tap into. These people making like really high quality wines barely making a living selling to tourists who are not ready to pay more than $5, which is what you would pay for a high-quality wine in Croatia from grapes from historic vineyards like Vinas Mora, like these guys. We will just, This was just sad. And we were like, yeah. okay, you know, you do, you're based in New York. I'm based out of Europe. We, we have to do something. We actually went to this grower by the road, that grower by the road, said, where do you buy grapes? You want to sell us grapes? Where do you buy grapes? Do you want to sell us grapes? And this is how these wines actually came to be. So basically, you're looking at like a parallel economy to X number of families in Croatia that these wines are supporting right now. All right. So let's finish up these two wines. Can we get started and um, pour the next two wines? While we're segueing and they're pouring, any questions on the wines? Is there any tasting questions or informational questions? All right. So tell me the next two wines that we're going to be pouring out. So either drink them or dump them in your discard cup. Okay. Uh, we're going now, yeah? yeah. So uh, I'll talk about the 
Go. I'll, I'll talk about the third wine here. Uh, is, is the wine I actually... So me and Alan Bibic are, are very good friends. He, had, he has a tremendous estate. Uh, he's, he's a grower uh, that really changed a lot in the modern Croatian winemaking and has uh, really changed his ways of thinking about wine. He was basically making uh, these uh, big uh, modern era wines before and, uh, you know, score points wines kind of type of deal. Uh, and he, real he realized that was too much stress and he realized he didn't want to be a part of that world. And about six years ago, I came into the cellar and I saw a drastic, drastic change in the wines. Um, and uh, he also has lost his market in Croatia because he doesn't make this primary fruit only, uh, you know, cold fermentation uh, uh, wines anymore. Also yeasted, he's stepped away and he lost his market. And he asked me like, you know, what, what should I do? And I said, let's go around the cellar. Let's see what you have. And maybe we can work on something. So a lot of these wines are coming at incredible value because they really are. He, he priced them uh, differently in, in for his market there. And I pushed him. I said, we should really sell these wines and start with a new new story. Uh, Opol is a wine that uh, I literally, uh, he uh, is a specific character, sometimes hard to deal with. And I went to the cellar eight times to come up with an order because we have this, all these amazing wines sitting there. And I said, I don't know, like, where are the wines? I need to see the bottles that we finalized. And at some point, uh, I just took the pipette and I went around the cellar and I blended this wine. Uh, and it's a blend of white and red. It's something that I do in my, in my winery. I said, I'll do something what I have, uh, what I have uh, at, at, my, at my estate just for fun. And I'll see how it goes. It ended up being great. And we bottled it. And uh, it's basically the, the kind of like the base of you see when, uh, in Alante. Uh, which are the Bebit Manarstina, there's a little bit of uh, uh, Muscat de Alexandria here, and there is a, a Plavina, uh, uh, which is a local varietal here. So just a nice little, uh, uh, nice little kind of like co, not co-ferment, but co-blend. <laughs> so, right. Yeah. Is this, is this the first vintage so, of the Opal that you've made? You've this done? is the first. This is the first vintage we've done, and uh, and you will continue to make it. I gather I, 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 the yeah, blend yeah, would vary. Yeah, yeah. Yes, 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 exactly. But it's it's a it's a style of wine that has been always present in this area. Uh, All right. So what's let's get a second wine in everyone's glasses. What's the next wine we should have the in front of everyone? The second one is a variety called Plavina, another local grape, and up to like five years back it was just a crepe that was like not on anyone's radar used basically for blends and just for quantity to be honest um another crepe that was um like a tier two or tier three crepe even in 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 ex yugoslavia basically you wanted to produce and mass and sell to the cooperative uh and then what you wanted to do was get uh, the grapes like as um, late harvested as possible. The content of alcohol would drive the price you would get. And um, the grape almost got forgotten. People used to like replant, such a shame. A beautifully like thin-skinned uh, grape, beautifully light blue. Uh, Plavina means, like, means blue in Croatian slang. So hence the, the color of the, uh, of the skins. Thank God. Um, Today it's having a bit of a comeback. Um, the way that Domain Bibich does it is very different from anyone else. It's not burdened by oak. It's not burdened by being too late harvested. And again, you're getting like, I think, a beautifully textural 
uh, lightly structured wine. Some people kind of compare it to a bit more sudden Pinot Noir. I think it has a unique character, uh, character of its own, uh, just a beautifully light and textural wine. It, which grape is the grape that genetically ties to Zinfandel? That's a, that's a different grape called Plavats Mali. Okay. Plavats that's a different Mali. one, yeah. My bad. Just mm -hmm. want to make sure. Um, all right, so that's the Plavina, and we discussed the Opal. Um, does everyone have it in front of them? We're all poured out. Again, quite a unique, I'm just tasting it now, quite a unique um, expression of the crepe. You wouldn't really find crepe. I don't think you find such a beautiful expression of this crepe in any other winery in Croatia. Just well, they, have, they, they really have the noir for it. It's, it's yeah. a place that uh, this is, this is the, really the, the story of, the, of, of, of this area. And Alan has a tremendous vineyards, uh, definitely, of, of these varietals. Um, so let, let's talk about vineyards. Um, let's talk about the vineyards, farming practices. You know, we talked about it a little. But we discussed the fact that the region is steeped deeply in history. You know, back to before Christ, Romans, and all that. Um, so there's been a lot of vineyards <laughs> that have been around a long time. Talk to me first about the farming practices. Um, you had alluded to the fact, very low intervention. But you're talking about older vineyards. I want you to talk a little about, and this is a general question, so you could specify, um, vine age. You know, these most of these wines are not from young vines, which is a beautiful thing. Um, and farming practices, you know, it, does climate dictate that you don't have to do much, you know, as far as, you know, herbicides, yeah. but none of that, right? Yes. Um, like I said, the, the climate dictates uh, the, the farming. Uh, we have, you know, every growing region has its own issues. If in my vineyards in the in the north, we have, you cannot escape the, the the vines, you know, because climatic changes, the uh, the peronospora, uh, humidity are all uh, things that we don't really see here. Uh, we really see different things. We see uh, too much sunshine. To uh, sometimes we see, you know, we have lack of water. And we see uh, all, all these things that are uh, that are issues of today's climate change. Um, luckily, we have this. This terroir still has an incredible diversity because we are in a proximity to the two mountain ranges that roll down some cold air and really uh, make, make a big difference in the acidity. You see these wines all have very bright li live acidity. So this is something that, uh, that is, a, uh, in fact, a, uh, you know, a savior for, for everybody that makes wine. Um, the farming, it's, it's, very, it's very minimal. Uh, it's, uh, I would say, you know, the, the minimum spraying here, maybe Alan, I know he sprays maybe twice a year with uh, with uh, maximum copper sulfur, or that that is it. Uh, there's really not much need. Sometimes, uh, not even one time, depending on the vintage. Um, and for us, it's really an issue, you know, spraying in, on, on the grapes with uh, with a lots of in a, lot, in a very warm place. In a it, it, the sulfur component definitely dehydrates a lot of this, uh, a, a lot of the grapes, and it doesn't really perform well. It's also like when you can not spray, we can you, when you can spray the almost nothing or nothing, it's ideal for us because it really uh, dries down the soil even more. 
Yeah, so uh, that's in my experience what I see. I see people that are spraying. They're really their their soils are very very dry. You know, and uh, and in in a place like this, this is a huge issue. So uh, we're trying to work with at, le at least of, uh, you know some sort of a uh, more alive soil as as much possible. Um, I don't think that explains. No, it does. What about picking the grapes? Everything is hand farmed. Is it hand farmed because uh, that's yes. the best way to do it, or you can't and don't want to put there's, machinery there's, in there? There is everything is uh, farmed by uh, everything is farmed by hand. Uh, I mean, picked by by hand. This these vineyards, I will show you. I will take. I'll pass my phone around. You will see these vineyards here. This is extreme. You cannot. It's really hard to walk here, let alone farm anything. You know, so you can't. It's it's just like you're gonna slip and fall, cut yourself. There's like it's 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 snakes. snakes. You know, it's it's it's, it's in, this place is insane. You would have to take. You would take one generation to plant these vines here. It would some of the vineyards. It would take five six hours on the donkeys to get to the to the place. And then if you caught bad weather, you would have to sleep in this you know man-made like bungalows by out of stones. And you know. Uh, you're lucky you'll be alive the next day. A lot of people have, like, you know, had God knows what kind of uh, issues to uh, to survive the night, from thunders to everything. I mean, it was it was really brutal. We're talking about an extremely poor place here. We, especially my terroir. This until 1963, we had no electricity. You know, like my stepdad grew up with with with, with no electricity and water for, at some points when he was there. It was uh, people only you were you could the only uh, source of uh, food was fish. That's it. You know, so if you go to the people there, we all find it charming that all these amazing seafood restaurants, but nobody wants to eat fish there. You know, like we all eat meat. You know, we all eat like <laughs> lamb funny. on the spit. If you have somebody's birthday, right. that's it. You know, you call somebody for a beautiful, large Bronzino, no one's coming. You know, so uh, uh, tourists. tourists are coming. That's right. it. That's it. <laughs> but everybody that grew up there grew up very, very poor. And the only way of how to the survival was growing grapes. And uh, selling these grapes to uh, to actually other markets in barrels, um, uh, and uh, it was it, it was a very important uh, growing region. But uh, the prices were never there to support the effort of what what had to be done uh, in order for this to survive. So that's why we went from uh, 200 hectares to 20 hectares as soon as the tourism has uh, started. As soon as we connected the roads, as soon as the electricity came, it was over. And everybody started planting olive, olive trees instead of vines because it's much easier to go to the olives than to, to the wines. So, uh, and also the lack of no knowledge how to produce good wines, the lack of cellar techniques, the lack of air I conditioning. I want to talk about that. You know, we talked a little about farming. We also talked about vine age. Um, has there been plantings in the last, you know, three, five, 10, 15 years just to get some of the varietals that you want in there? Or you're basically bringing back errant vineyards and you know, not, not with not with Bibich actually, uh, because he had quite a few different plantations. The first one, well, the actual the second one you have, this was like a this is a 50 year old vineyard, and then the rest ranges from like 25 to 35 years. So you really see like a very mature, uh, possibly the best age, uh, the best age vineyard. Um, and as Croatia said, I mean, uh, growing grapes was uh, a means to survival. Uh, it was a means to feed the family. These people, like looking at 30, 40 years back, they were by no means like wine growers with like a world perspective. They didn't have like phones and stuff. They they grew grapes because it was just one of the farming things they did. So they were, even not specifically wine growers, they had animals, they grew vegetables. So this is what we're looking at. I mean, 
also the the in in most cases well in a lot of cases especially with crashes wines which will taste later so i didn't want to get in much into that they built like small claws uh which today you know very famed in france but in in where crescia farms claws were actually a way just to protect just a natural way to protect grapes and people will self-taught or life taught them or nature taught them what to do and this is what they did like literally they had no contact with if there was a vineyard in land they had no contact with uh like the major city so they needed to get on a well donkey or cart or something or whatever um so yeah i mean a lot of these vineyards just they have like a few decades on them uh and i think it shows in the wines definitely um let's talk about winemaking and cellar practices um, it would seem obvious to me that if you're low intervention in the fields, that you're going to carry that um, into the cellar. So talk to me about winemaking, cellar practices, but let's talk about, you know, vessels that you're fermenting in, aging in. Um, you know, this would point towards indigenous yeasts. Um, I mean, there's a there's like a pre-Second World War thing and then a, and a post-Second World War situation where... Um, a lot of grapes, local grapes, were pulled out following Second World War, and then internationals were planted. This kind of kind of syncs with what happened in the world in a way, where you had the uh, the rise of the, the chemical industry and the rise of the enologist and whatever. Um, so basically, you had a change of practices towards a more modern winemaking um, uh, in the the seventies and the eighties and the nineties. Um, in yeah. general, yeah. Yeah, well, we we're about to change that. So, <laughs> so, so yeah, we don't, why? Uh, you know, it's it's just like obviously, wine is we we uh, we promote organic farming and all of these things because it's better. Right. You make better wine from it, and with native yeast, you make better wine whether it's selected right. yeast. That's period. We don't, I don't, you know, if we if it was the other way, uh, we probably wouldn't be sitting here. You know, we wouldn't have this festival. So, uh, you know, for us is a, uh, obviously, I don't want to talk about like minimum intervention, intervention. I want to talk about really what we need to do to make good wine. Uh, well, let's talk about that. Yeah. I mean, these are highly macerated grapes, most of them. Please, right? Lisa. I want to ask, can I reframe the question a little bit? Yeah. So, I think what you're really trying to do is, is use your grape. If I'm, if I'm mistaken, correct me. But I think you're looking for your grape to express your terroir. Yes, correct. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So, and that would mean that in some ways, perhaps, I don't know, different grape varieties would then dictate different cellar practices. Okay? Correct. So, if, if I could dig a little deeper to say, what are you doing with different varieties mm -hmm. in the cell? But you, I, mean, I can go back, you can go back and think of blood. But how, how are you doing, how are you trying to do encourage that to our expression okay so length yes. of maceration yes I mean, all, all um, uh, well I'll, I'll tell you in my case okay because uh i come from this very unique vineyards and i think it's our our grape which is called babich it is the main focus of what we do we do single vineyard expressions i basically uh wanted to make uh, an expression of this grape, just like you do in Burgundy, just like you do everywhere else, to really show terroir and to almost just to minimize any kind of uh, techniques on it. Uh, uh, it's overly 
the, the wine in today's climate, I believe they're overly macerated, overly worked, and they really, when I think of red wine, I think, I think of red wine as I think of white wine. Uh, a lot of, and for, for me, the problem with, let's say, a lot of orange wines, they are too macerated. You start losing terroir. It's the same thing with red. You know, so I think of every vintage is different, but I really dialed back the macerations on Bobbage Grape, which is a almost kind of much more like Pinot Noir than is Zinfandel. High acidity, beautiful aromatics that all was lost in most cases. So I knew that, you know, with just being going around the cellar for the last 20 years, I knew that that, was, that needed to be done. And it really hit the spot. It really started to sing. The, the wine expressed itself. You started, everybody talks to me, comes to me and says, oh, the terroir, the rocks, and all these things. It really less is more with what I try to do. I'm not trying to make light wines because it's a strength. I'm trying to make wines that really need to be done in order to express the grape. And most importantly, this terroir that is very unique. We need to be able to express the salinity in the wines. And uh, that is the primary focus. You will see the vineyards after. But I have a, a wine that is also a different... Uh, uh, subject that comes from flatlands and here I do a co-fermentation with white and red. So it is a continuous fermentation between one and four days because I really wanted to also have something that is light on its feet and uh, I believe the whites here are more powerful than the, than the reds and they're, they, they, uh, 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 the, this kind of a mix of macerations really gives it a diversity in the wine. It really, it's an evolving process and I, it's, it's also an experiment uh, but it, it really proves to be working. You know, uh, sometimes you are, uh, you are held up because of issues in the cellars. You have to fight your way, but there's always an idea. What we tried to really express this year was these single vineyards, vinifying everything in the same way. There's effort, actually, the same elevage for each wine. And it was a tremendous difference what we got. So we had a tradition of this uh, area of the, uh, where people knew that some grapes were coming from this part and they would be more expensive than the others. They all knew that they never had to. They, they never had names for it. You know these places. So I was, I when I when I started to do this, I said I'm going to make my own terroir. I'm just going to, you know, we don't have an AOC. You know what? I'll make it. <laughs> and I'll call this that, I'll call this that, and I'll call this that, and we'll make wines from only these parcels, and we so and we'll sell them around the world and see what what it says. We were sold out in four months. Gone. 40, right, so let's we wait. Let me just set this up. Right. We have less than fifteen minutes no, left. Right. So finish up the wines you have in front of you. Let's get the last couple of wines poured out, and we'll get into that um, a little more. I have a question for every, what happened. I have a question. Um, is this the first time some of you have tasted these wines? So a few of you have had these before. Okay. All right. Um, so, Kresho, the next wines are the Venus Mora, right? Yeah, we actually have one more red. Oh, okay. Here. Well, let's, let's just... Do you want to report it? It's a Syrah. We all think we have time. It's a young right. Syrah from young. So let's pour the Syrah. Uh, let's discuss do, do that. Syrah and do this. Let's discuss that. And then towards the end, we'll empty out one glass and we'll uh, talk about the uh, last wine. So Syrah. I mean, not, not one of the typical grapes that we've been talking about. Yeah, let's not, set it up for this. Not one of the typical grapes, but I mean, I don't, I don't want to uh, take too much time on this. Uh, it's one of those grapes that was, you know, planted after the Second World War. Uh, actually, what an amazing idea! It grows beautifully in the uh, coast in coastal Croatia, 
um, which basically is just pure Mediterranean, high temperatures, a lot of garig, a kind of a, I don't know, I had a French uh, lady coming to the table today saying she was she never tasted a Syrah like this. Uh, we have another one if you want to come and taste at the table. That was, uh, <laughs> that was you. But I wanted to refer to a French lady. as like she lives in like the side of Rome. It's like, I never had a Syrah like this. Which it's actually actually quite true. So one of those grapes, international grapes that uh, got you know planted post Second World War, and Bibich decided to keep it. It just gives beautiful results. I wanted to refer also back to the uh, to the winemaking technique question. I mean, um, don't be fooled. Most wines in Croatia are not produced in this way. They're very uh, yeast-driven, wood-driven, uh, awards-driven decanter, awards-driven. Uh, wines, which then is something which is used in marketing purposes to sell them, people don't really still understand the marketing point and the sustainability of just growing beautiful grapes in what is an amazingly beautiful terroir that doesn't need to be burdened by all the winemaking practices. There's just no need for that. Sadly, the enologist kind of consultant industry is quite strong in Croatia, even uh, in international presence. Uh, but, you know, People like Kresha, we're, we're working on, on, on changing that. There's no need. The terroir is so beautiful that you can literally do very little and express uh, what is grown beautifully there. So Syrah, not really one of the indigenous grapes no. of the region, right? We just have it here. So this yep. particular Syrah, vines were planted when? Uh, this is a 35-year-old Okay, so this, they have yes. some good vine age. Yes, there are some solid wine age, uh, and honestly, I think they will. This will be a good continuation into into Crescious grapes and into Crescious wines. I think it's going to be a good, and uh, it, good thing. In thinking about making the wine, is there any nod towards the Rhone or to any other region, or you just think about what you want to make? No, it's it's literally thinking what we want to make, what will where you will you know. How you, you you will express the grapes in in the best way? There's no there's not no. Of course we drink Rhone. Of course we right. kind of take example of that. But then again, it's just using the, the the stuff that you have in the vineyard and just do the least amount of work to be able to express that terroir. Right. Um, and Kresho, the other wine that we're pouring. Uh, uh, yeah. Also, um, just for the the, the Cerno wines. Uh, be curious to know what you think this wine costs. Um, you know, that's an interesting subject with this wine. It's uh, it's a pretty good wine, I think. So uh, I'm gonna guess that it's more on the inexpensive side than expensive because you wouldn't ask. Yeah, otherwise. yeah, it, it is. It is inexpensive, but it's retail. So what it, you're setting up is this is an incredible value it's, it's, it's for a good, the it's quality. A definitely a, it's it's a definitely good value. It's right. it's a wine that costs like 14 bucks at a store. So you know, 14, 15 dollars. Um, um, anyways, uh, to, to kind of like almost, we have like last five, six minutes, I think, uh, to finish up on the, on, on my wines here. Well, uh, we have time. Go ahead. Um, Barba, uh, is the first wine I needed to create, uh, basically, so producing wine from this very single, you know, single vineyard minded concept. Uh, I also needed the wheels for this concept to survive. And, uh, uh, I decided that uh, I, you know, I basically uh, sourced some grapes from some of my friends from the lower slopes for more of a green terroir, from more of a, you know, more of a fertile soil. Uh, it, 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 
it it kind of like you know what I uh, I wanted to also have a, a different concept that it, 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 that is in only in the Babich where it's also it's only the, the this these territories. So to me. Uh, also, the label, often people ask, it's, it is this man on the label, is there for a reason? Because I think that uh, in all of our stories about wine, we have this terroir concept, very serious stories. It's always, always, always uh, uh, very deep. And without the concept of a man, of humanity, it, all of this would be impossible. And uh, uh, this, this is an homage to somebody that has survived making wine in this incredible place for the last 70 years and holds some of the... Uh, oldest vineyards and is still making this great wine every year I buy <laughs> even though I make a lot of wine I still buy all of his production just to keep it at the house because it's it's really is a, is a testimony to uh, to survival um, and uh, he deserves to be on the bottle because of that but it really is a one of these dimensions of, of the terroir is also human and it's very important to uh, to, 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 uh, to take that aspect um, this is okay, go ahead. no no finish uh, this is uh, so it's a co-ferment uh, of uh, Plavina, which you had. Another grape called Lassin, which is a varietal that is absolutely beautiful. It's, it's very much kind of like a deeper Pinot Noir, darker Pinot Noir kind of character. And then Debit and Marastina, which you heard before. Uh, they're fermented in plastic vasque. Everything is done manually in my winery. Everything is done by hand. Why fermented in plastic? In... in uh, it's just very simple and clean okay. and you know i mean i would love to have wooden fermenters if i could but uh, expensive my first vintage i spent all my money i had and i didn't know if i'm going to be able to sell you know this thank god people that's why it, you know but but it's 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 it actually you know it's not true polyethylene works uh, our tanks work very very well for these wines it's the best for what we also bought stainless steel much more expensive i'm going to get rid of it because for red wine, that what I do is red wine and I, with primary fruit. With I want this fruit to express. With, and with the fermentations in the polyethylene, there's much more aerobic. The wines are working the whole time. With stainless steel, you have a very stuck uh, environment. The, the, there's no, the leaves are not as active. The, everything goes to the bottom. You have to work it a lot more. In, in those, in those uh, polyethylenes, wines are moving. We see a lot more uh, diversity in the wines, uh, especially with those uh, smaller tanks, about to like, let's say, 5,000 liters. You know? So uh, uh, I'm not a fan of stainless steel. It's very good uh, for uh, blending. It's very good for a lot of like, you know, uh, simple white wines. And, and, and also, but I really want my wines to be active during the fermentation. And I really don't want reduction, which stainless steel is very prone to give you. So it's something that I will definitely keep. And uh, this is only aged in polyethylene tanks. The next wine you will try is aged in also in 30% old wood. So. Wait, did we pour the? No, okay, so we have one wine left. So make room for this wine, please. So st set up this wine for us. This is... This is so this is... So please come to my table. Uh, I couldn't bring all wines. Uh, you can you can try other single vineyards as well. <laughs> I have very little of this wine. Mark I had to bring it in the back because the customs and the, I mean the, the, the uh, you know the travel of the wine these days with all these uh, disasters are very very slow. Uh, so I was expecting my wines to be here, but they didn't arrive. They were supposed to come. So kudos to you. This is a treat because I said you don't have to pour this if you don't have a <laughs> lot, but. Thank you to you My for pleasure. bringing in and My giving pleasure. us an opportunity to taste it. So let's talk about it. Uh, who's going to pour? Can you guys help us pour this out? Thanks. 
Um, I think, yeah. I think oh, if you okay. can empty out, if the anybody glass, can empty the glass, yeah, yeah, it's good. Let's let's save the planet with washing everything all, yeah. all the time. It's good. Um, it's okay. Uh, yeah, you want to pour, Chase? Yeah, just just pour very small. Yeah, that's all we have. So that's all we have. So uh, I'll also pass the phone uh, around uh, that you can see. Uh, Marco, you want to maybe? Yeah. So I'll show you the pictures of. It really explains a lot. It's really difficult to to say this. Uh, in, in many words, you will see these vineyards uh, that are. You will see these vineyards that I spoke about here. Uh, so basically, this is the common line. Common means stone in Croatian. Uh, it is a wine uh, that that comes. This is a basically a, a single terroir wine. It comes from the higher altitude, about 200 meters above sea level, surrounded. Uh, uh, by by sea, uh, it is uh, coming from uh, average age of wines about eighty, uh, and uh, uh, it is more of a west facing uh, vineyards. Here, there's about four to five Celsius degrees difference. What you see on the bottom of the of the uh, where my winery is located. So uh, wines here are a little bit deeper. Uh, they are very mineral driven. Uh, they are very low yielding. Um, it's it's to me this is liquid stone. It's my definition of what what this is. It's it's a extremely poor soil, um, and uh, the expression here, like I said, in all the wines are the same of of, of elevage. That I I really want them to just be different of the of uh, and show themselves. Uh, I really don't change anything. Uh, there is 30% of old wood that goes into uh, uh, for only only three months. I only keep it for a little part of microoxidation. It brings it dimension, uh, and uh, the rest is polyethylene tank. Macerations are about four days. Uh, the sulfur uh, is added just a little bit at the beginning. I really don't want any breath in my wines. So, uh, and a very very low amount. It's a uh, uh, we cleared up. I went to the to the to the, the institute and they looked at me. I'd never seen something like this. So it's like the, the it's it showed a zero. They said I, if the lady drank the wine when I brought it from the from those capsules, and you, they usually get poisoned. <laughs> she said I must try this. She <laughs> 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 drank my samples. It was crazy. Um, so uh, and then a little bit of sulfur just uh, before the bottling, basically at bottling. So we are looking at maybe like 15 milligrams total sulfur and um, in this wine. Even less. Uh, Right. Yes, go ahead. It used to be done. It used to be. Uh, it used to be done not where I'm from because they didn't have any white here. So we are basically this uh, Venus uh, Venus Mora is based on these Babbage grapes, and it was true. We didn't have the terroir uh, name for it. We didn't have an appellation for it, but it was known as in the history to only plant Babbage in these rocky soils. So nobody, there's no other varietal that performs even close as good as to this. So Babbage is a varietal that is also not a very good varietal. It's not high quality. It's not like a Cabernet that uh, it, it, it gives you a high yielding, uh, 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 high yield. It, it really needs to be uh, pulled back a lot in order to achieve quality. And here in these soils, it's an ideal combination. I always say the old people, the elders really knew best what they were doing. And it's, and anybody that made a difference in the vineyards and with growing, uh, the modern knowledge is the modern growers came and the agriculturalists, they ruined everything they've done. 
And everybody was, you have to listen to the old people. So only those vineyards that are planted in those systems, one meter point, 20 centimeters, exactly, one from another, is the only way how to work here. Everything else is stressing the vines and stressing the soil. And uh, this is truly that technique only here, what you see in this wine. Christian, if you remember, uh, I just remembered something. You remember we read a book, that big encyclopedia of grapes by a French author. And I can't remember the name, but it was like all the grapes of the world. It's like really well written in French. And he said, well, Bobbage, very mediocre grape, very mediocre wines, which, I mean, you can taste what you have in a glass, but I guess that was a consequence of him actually tasting, uh, you know, modern Bobbage grapes and how they, were, how they are grown modernly, but like consulted by enologists. In, in right. Standards, right. which is contrary to he's what he's tasting a different wine made exactly. differently. He's, he's exactly. tasting the wine made differently. Exactly. Coming from a fertile soil, nothing to do with this. Nobody, you know, here you he would have to know somebody and you would have to go to someone's house to taste the real deal, you know, and uh, nobody has done this uh, right. on a scale like we did. And it was very difficult to find but something. But credit to you guys, that's what's happening there now. And I think exciting things ahead. We have to wrap up because um, we're at the end. But I wanted to ask you a couple of quick questions. We talked about Dalmatia being a Mediterranean client climate. You talked about how the locals don't eat much fish or whatever. But let's talk about these wines because hopefully from this, people will go out and seek these wines. Let's just talk quickly about food pairings. Um, it's a very general question, but you know we can relate to particular wines. Um, uh, the, the, the pairings are uh, people eat people eat like uh, people eat the uh, I would say real fish with this kind of uh, wines, the red wines. They don't have any whites. Uh, I would say some some of the uh, you know real meats and stuff like that. They are very simple. Uh, very simple cuisine, and also Marco. I'd say, I mean, um, talking from a perspective of working in Asia for uh, for like four to five years. Good with uh, Asian food. It could like skin contact ha here. You could right. go well it with Asian food. You you can do that. Also with you know pork, you can do that. But about that, you can go with spicy food. I think that could actually work really well. Opal here. Too. So I think there's there's quite a diversity. I mean, in Croatia, the things are quite straightforward. But as you expand to like cuisines of Asia and then Mexico, I think these wines actually pair really well with the with the freshness, uh, with the freshness they have. I think and very good substance. I think they pair really well with the diversity of yeah. foods. To be honest, yeah. Well, we want we want people to drink these wines with food. So, lastly, how available are these wines? We're in New York, so I'm yeah, not worried about out. I just arrived here. They're they're uh, they're they're in they're in a lot of uh, stores. You have them in uh, in I would say major you know retailers. Uh, single vineyard wines are not yet for me. Okay. They didn't arrive yet. But if anybody wants to come to the table, you can taste them, and I think people will buy them. So the. These wines are imported by Zev Rovine? Yes. So Zev has a very good network of distribution in yeah, New yeah, York. Yeah. So if we're talking New York, if you seek these wines out, what about if people want more information? Are there any websites or any particular place to go? Okay. I think that there's also a good point in terms of sales globally. Um, if if you've, you've traveled a lot, and I don't think you've seen much of Croatian wines on the wine lists. And that's basically because they've been produced in a very commercial style. Um, 
but you'll see these wines on the list now as something which is more like food pairing oriented and just just a pure expression of the crepe, not oak burdened. So I think you're going to see quite a lot of Croatian wines um, from us and then from other of our colleagues around the world as you travel. All right, so please seek these wines out. If your curiosity is not peaked now, then I don't know what it's going to take. Um, sure. Yes, that's the Barba. I was going to point that out. It's unlike any of the other wines. It's, it's aromatics from the white. It's really is a, it's, I mean, tropical, I call it Mediterranean. It's the herbs and, and the garin that you find. It truly is a postcard of the Mediterranean, I call it. You know, it's something that comes from mainly the white part of the grapes, especially with this Marastina varietal, which is a strain of Malvasia. And it's, uh, I really seek for that. I really want that to, that top end to, to be there. This is a wine that is, it's very different than from the others. It's made every year. I want it to be Barba every year. And, and these wines are very terroir wines. They're always just the same thing. And uh, but Barba is kind of like, uh, you know, uh, uh, this Mediterranean style of wine. And I, I, every year I kind of like tweak it to be, to be this. I really try to hit the percentages of white and red. Like I want to have this expression that is, uh, that is in this vintage, you know, something that uh, shows well. All right, we got to wrap up. I got to let you guys go. I want to thank Kresho Petrekovic and Mark, Marko Kovash for joining us on the Speaker's Corner at this year's Raw Wine 2022. Good to be back drinking with other people and in person. You can't beat that. Um, we thank you guys for sharing these wonderful wines. It was certainly a treat. Thank you, Sam. I'm Sam Ben Ruby from the Grape Nation on Heritage Radio Network. Tune in and thank everybody for taking time to sit with us. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please... Join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.